Hey, Scott. Yes, Al. The weather outside is frightful. But in here, it's quite delightful. And since we've no place to go... This is the Unknown Studio. <laughs> hey, that actually rhymes. Coming to you almost live from Santa's Workshop, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. And as your hosts, we're very excited because it's almost Christmas. It is almost Christmas. It's like 10 days till Christmas. Yes. Have you done all your Christmas Sort of. Are you finished? No, no. Have you started? Have you at least started? No, I I have started, but I'm, I'm nowhere near close to being done. Yeah, I tried to start uh, doing most of it online. And uh, that's not really a good thing to do when when you also save it to the last minute. That, no, it doesn't make any sense. No, actually. because of course uh, you, there's no way that your presents will reach you in time for Christmas at this point. They need to make like oh, so they have three D printers. They need to make products that you can buy online and print out at home, like cars. I don't know. I'm, wouldn't that be fantastic? Basically, what you want is Star Trek replicator technology. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Or, or we need to bring back the pneumatic tube system, where they're wide enough that any any present of any size could fit through them. And as soon as you order something from like Amazon or Future Shop, it just comes through the tube. I mean, that's so the, what the, the world is. would be connected by a series of literal tubes. It would literally be connected that way. Now, so, I don't know if those kinds of tubes uh, would actually freeze in Canada because it gets so cold. I suspect they would. There might be a lot of damage to the tubes. I'm no physicist. And I imagine that those are the people that would be in charge of the tubes because it's about, wait a minute, pressure. And I don't, yeah, that, that's good. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But anyway, so here we are, our second ever Christmas episode. Our second of hopefully many. Of hopefully many. Christmas episodes. We are about halfway through our second season at this point, actually. It's true. Yeah, and, and and so part of this episode is going to be, you know, talking about how excited we are about presents and family and all that stuff. But we're also going to take a look back at um, the last year of the Unknown Studio from the beginning of January 2010 all the way up to this very day, this auspicious day uh, of Christmas revelry at the Unknown Studio. We will also be joined by a guest in the studio a little later on. That's right. Uh, our good friend of the show. Mr. Daryl Hook, who has actually been credited with having named the Unknown Studio. Back yeah, when, in the we, day. when we started this whole thing, we had no clue what to call it. And, and he suggested the Unknown Studio. Among about a dozen other suggestions. But he's never been on the show, despite that. Which and is, yeah, uh, yeah. that was a travesty. So we decided to bring him on because he also happens to work very closely with 630 Ched Santa's Anonymous, a local charity. And uh, this is the time of year to talk about that. So we invited him on the show to discuss it. Which which is we're pretty excited about uh, for both of those reasons, because he named the show and because he's the man when it comes to Christmas charities. And I understand that charities in the city have, have um, they've been struggling a bit this year. A little bit. Around Christmas. And I know the Christmas Bureau had a, a, a fairly lofty goal, I think, of raising, was it $1.7 million this year? Um, and God, I hope that they get to that. But speaking of charity, um, 
because I, I won a, a prize uh, on a Twitter contest for Dinner for Four at Oodle Noodle. And I thought, well, let's let's turn this into something that doesn't just involve Scott and I eating. Though we do like eating, we I do. should mention. Uh, absolutely, we love eating. Um, so we opened it up on our website. We invited uh, people to put in bids. What would they pay to have dinner with Scott, me, themselves, and another person? And at Oodle Noodle. At Oodle Noodle downtown. There's a new Oodle Noodle there. And uh, and I said, the money we raise, we'll, we'll give, we'll donate to the Edmonton Food Bank. The highest bid will, that's where they'll put their money. So um, that auction closed on uh, Friday, December 10th at midnight. And the winner was a young lady named Rafaela Loro, who is a social media whiz with the city of Edmonton. Um, she bid $300 to have dinner with us. Which is astonishing. That's right. So the food bank and, okay, so $300. I said, gosh, one person, $300, that's a lot. I'm going to throw in 100 bucks. So $400 to the Edmonton Food Bank. On top of that, the manager of the downtown Oodle Noodle location, Sam, said, that's a great idea. I will match whatever is donated, and I will donate my portion to the Youth Emergency Shelter. So two charities in Edmonton will be getting, I mean, I know they're not huge donations, but I also know that every little bit helps. It Especially, as you mentioned, because this year a lot of charities have been uh, a little hard up this time of year because you know, everybody has to pinch pennies nowadays, the economy being the way it is. Yep. And uh, as generous as a lot of people might normally be, sometimes you do have to look out for yourself first. And, yep. and that's just the harsh reality. So because we are gifted in in the sense that we we don't want for anything um i'll kick in a few bucks on behalf of scott and i and um so if you if you haven't made a decision about where you're going to put your donation money or you've you, maybe you've got a few extra toys uh that, that you don't have people to give them to um you know you can you can donate toys to 630 ched santa's anonymous um cash to the christmas bureau food and cash to the edmonton food bank and i know the youth emergency shelter society is always looking for cash donations uh to help with their programming so there you go charities in edmonton all very worthwhile and we're a pretty charitable city we are i'm finding that uh, more and more of the people i meet every single one of them is involved in some way with a charity and uh working as i do in uh in the news media uh, and I, I speak with a lot of charities throughout the year, just getting updates on where they're at, especially this time of year, uh, finding out, you know, have you met your goal? Uh, are you having any hardships and whatnot? Time and again, every year, and including this year, uh, where, where things are a little harder, every charity uh, organizer and manager that I've spoken to has always, always said that the city of Edmonton, the people of Edmonton are, are a generous bunch always willing to help out to look out uh, for people who are a little less fortunate than yep. them and and that it's it's a great place to run a charity because of that but the unknown studio isn't a charity and though we support charities that's not all we want to talk about today. it's true so so um maybe just a little look back to see where we were one year ago or, or around one year ago because one year ago we were recording our christmas episode yes and uh and in that episode um, Scott and I explained our family traditions, and I understand you're probably going to do the Christmas 500 this year. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to go. I, I'm actually very fortunate this year because um, right after Christmas last year, my older brother and uh, my sister-in-law and their my nephew um, moved to France, and they've basically been there for the last year. I haven't seen my older brother in a year, which is very odd. I'm not. That's almost. I don't think that's ever happened. 
and he's going to be back. He actually returns to Edmonton today, the day this podcast comes out. Or sorry, not Edmonton, Calgary. He's back in Canada in any event. And uh, so this year will be very special because we all get to celebrate together. And um, and uh, not that we didn't last year, but, I mean, he's been gone for a year. And, and we'll actually be having him on a show later on uh, to talk about what his experience was like living in France. But I'm very glad to have my brother Peter back. My little brother who moved to Saskatoon will be coming, uh, not, at, not on Christmas Day, but anyway. Um, it's going to be a special uh, Christmas for my family. And the first Christmas we have with my nephew, where he's at that age where he'll, he might almost be able to remember what's going on, and certainly he'll be very excited about it. Now, uh, every year with the Christmas 500, we switch up the, the way that the, uh, the family breakdown goes, because uh, just on my end, before I was, uh, I was with my lovely fiancé, um, we would do Christmas Eve with the bourgeois. Christmas Day with the Forbergs. That was the way it was because the bourgeois tradition was Christmas Eve and the Forberg tradition was Christmas Day. It worked out. Right. Now that we also have Anita's family to take in, um, we've had to switch it up from year to year. And uh, last year, of course, we did Christmas Eve with the bourgeois and then Christmas Day with the Coonies. And this year, we're doing Christmas Eve with the Coonies and Christmas Day with the Forbergs. So the unfortunate truth is that I don't get to spend Christmas with the bourgeois side this year. Uh, and last year I didn't get to spend Christmas with the Forberg side. So I, see. I do miss one of the families, uh, one of the ways every Christmas. And that always troubles me a little bit. Like, not to the point where I would ever make a, make a stand about it and, and uh, say that, no, we shouldn't go see the Coonies because I'd like to see both of my, because I like seeing the Coonies as well. They're wonderful people. Of course, yeah. And, uh, and I, I love them dearly. Uh, but it always it always feels weird to miss one of the families every Christmas. And I know that I'm certainly not the only one who will be missing the bourgeois Christmas Eve this year of my extended family, of my cousins and whatnot. And, and it's totally acceptable. They understand. But again, it'll be a little bittersweet not being able to see, you know, my mamay on Christmas Eve or, or some of my family members. So that's always been a little weird for me since I've started being with Anita. But again, not that I would want to miss out on Christmas with the Coonies, which is always a wild part. And also so. actually kind of sounds like the title of a film, Christmas with the Coonies, <laughs> which, now, which now reminds me of, of Christmas with the Clumps, which is just a terrible thing to be reminded of. Yes. Um, so I apologize to Anita and her wonderful family, who um, some of whom I actually got a chance to meet, I think, at your Halloween party, did I not? Yes. Which was pretty cool. Your, your guys' parents are awesome. Yes. I can... <laughs> yes, of course. I can imagine... Uh, I can imagine that Christmas would be interesting and fun. Um, now, one of the things that I was going to bring up was the fact that because my little brother and his wife live in Saskatoon now, and my parents live in Calgary, and my sister-in-law's parents live near Knighton Junction, so probably about a half-hour drive from uh, east of Edson, um, my little brother uh, told me on the phone a few weeks ago that he's experiencing tremendous guilt about where to spend Christmas. And I told him, I said, look, realistically, you now have you have two families now and, and everyone knows that and that's fine. And so um, so don't feel like you have to come for the Rosenhearts. But then I added, uh, also, you haven't seen your brother in a year. So I did I did pour the guilt on a little bit. And so they're doing both things. They're, they're going to have a hectic Christmas. But I have advised him 
um, and he'll probably not listen to me because let's face it, he never has, that next year do do what you want. You know, D- don't feel beholden to one side of the family over the other or whatever. But I can imagine being married, this would be uh, this would be an issue. This would be or it could be an issue. Um, and it's obviously something that you've sort of experienced. Well, again, with uh, with my with my family, just with my parents, they were very lucky that it just worked out that they never had to pick and choose. They could always fit in both. And that's right. one of the reasons why the tradition of the Christmas 500 came into existence, because we would literally go from one Christmas to the next. And I, I'm sure I touched on this last yes, year Yes, you did, well. yeah. But uh, so that's, that's kind of how that all came into being. And unfortunately, with Anita's family... Well, no, I, I will actually go as far as to say fortunately with Anita's family. They do something both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So either way, we can see them. Uh, and it just works out on which side of my family I'm going to be seeing that Christmas. So Now, um, so last season, last season's Christmas episode, we talked about our traditions. But like I said, I want to take a little bit of a look back. Because I think we've had, I, I like to think we've been quite successful with the show. Well, I mean, obviously. obviously. Obviously, we've been successful, but but it's easy to forget without pausing to look back to see what you what we actually have done. And we've had an awful lot of guests on the show uh, since at the beginning of January 2010. We started that year with um, our 15th episode, uh, and we spoke with um, Mike Kendrick, who at the time was the editor-in-chief of The Gateway, the University of Alberta student newspaper, our first employer, first journalistic employer. Anyway. Indeed. And uh, and we also chatted with Rob Fishbook, who was, was the, the president, president of Cup. That's yes. right. Yeah. And uh, and actually, so we started off the year chatting with them and basically being asked to speak at a journalism conference. Yes. Which was pretty cool. And we were only halfway through our first season, so we only sort of knew what we were doing. Vaguely. And now we do sort well, of know what we're doing. Now we also still kind of sort of know what we're doing. Right. Have we gotten better? Maybe email us and let us know if we've gotten worse. Uh, actually, don't. No, just shout at your MP3 player right now uh, on the count of three and tell us whether or not we've gotten better. One, two, three. The, okay, good. I think we're doing all right. Gosh, except, for that, except for that one guy in the back. Yeah. You're a dick. <laughs> but, I mean, who else did we talk to? We talked foreign journalism with Jeremy. Jeremy Lai, right? yeah. Um, we we had Brenda Kerber from the Traveling Tickle Trunk on our show for the first time before they became sponsors. That's right. of the and, show and, and now, now have regular they, segments. They they do regular segments, and I think I think that content has helped improve the show. Agreed. I I, I really like that Brenda and uh, Lauren, the the woman who speaks the words that Brenda writes for Sex Talk, is, they're they're fabulous, and we're so glad to have them uh, as part of the Unknown Studio. And maybe this would be the time to mention actually in a sort of Christmas present future sense um, that we have a new team member of the Unknown Studio. Yes, we do. We have formally invited um, sometimes correspondent Lisa McRitchie uh, to contribute more to the show, and you'll actually hear her in a segment in this episode. Um, But she's going to be writing her views on whatever the hell she wants, basically. Which is more or less what we do on the website as well. On those rare occasions when I dine to post. Well, I mean, you're a busy man. Unfortunately. I would like to contribute more. And uh, you will see some more contributions uh, from me, rather, in the next while. But... uh, it happens. I go through dry spurts. I, I'm sorry. So so Lisa is our Calgary correspondent. She lives in Calgary, and um, I sort of made friends with her on Twitter because she's an Oilers fan. So she's a pilgrim in an unholy land, 
Uh, and uh, she's she's a pretty good writer, so we've we've we welcome her, and we're glad to have her as part of the team. Agreed. Um, so we've added a lot of new stuff as a result of some of the experiences that we've had over the last year, and I think. Um, well, I'll get I'll get a little bit later in a few minutes. We'll talk about the future of the Unknown Studio, the Unknown Studio 2011, because there are some things I've been working on that I don't I don't even think Scott knows about just yet. So I'm oh gonna my. I'm gonna knock your fucking socks. There's off. some stuff that I've uh, that I've been working on too. So really, yeah, I know. I'm just, I've, I've got some plans. I know I have you do. plans. I know you do. I'm just bugging you. And I should mention, before I get too far into our backwoods look, that Scott and I will also be doing our annual gift exchange pretty yes. soon. So so before we bring Daryl into the studio, that's what we'll be doing. Now, where was I? I was uh, on... You were up to Dave Barry. Dave Barry, we had him on for the Oscars. And Dave Dave's a very talented man, a great writer, and... Um, and I know that he spent the last year or so freelancing. So Edmonton is worse off having lost David Barry to Agreed. Toronto. Um, but all the best and, to him. Uh, but we will be doing an 83rd Academy Awards show. Absolutely. Because I love the Oscars. Yeah. And in fact, Scott has a, a wonderful Oscars party. Um, Oscar party, rather. Well, no, I shouldn't take all the credit. Uh, technically, right. it is my friend Alan's Oscar party. It's just uh, Alan lives in a, in a smaller, confined space. And uh, we have a nice house so we invited him to host it at our house last year, and, and we'll be doing so again this year. So. And there's always good food and uh, hilarious predictions. And uh, good company. Yeah, absolutely. Your, your friends are great, by the way. We also had the internet on the show. That's I mean, true. the show exists on the internet, but we've never actually spoken to the internet. Or at least Edmonton's internet. So we, we had Mac Mail on the show, and uh, we got to talk to him about open data and, uh, and uh, basically an open city. And um, Max still apparently listens to the show. In fact, on our last episode, you'd have heard an interview with him uh, when we were at launch party. Um, he's a, he's everywhere. I don't even know if I really don't know if the guy sleeps. Speaking of launch party, our next episode had Ken Batista on it. That's right, Ken Batista, who who founded Seek Your Own Proof, um, which is a a piece of it's like a software, it's a game that you can play on the internet if it's for young people, and uh, it's all about teaching them stuff about history and uh, and the modern world and stuff and stuff so actually if you're thinking of a christmas gift you might want to give some of your your kids if they're aged i don't know uh between seven and twelve um buy them a season's pass to seek your own proof i think it's just seekyourownproof.com because uh, kevin ken is still doing good work and actually i've i had the opportunity to bring ken into um my day job uh as a consultant so he's been helping us at calder bateman develop some stuff for our clients, and he's been just a pleasure to work with. So we've been really fortunate that we've forged these relationships with people. Indeed. We got into an episode on health with Roma Sobieski because she went to, was it Ecuador? Yes. It was some equatorial uh, nation, nation in Central America, and she was a volunteer. She did volunteer work there. Um, she helped with surgeries and, and you know, really brought medical care, modern medical care to a place that doesn't really have it. And, and she shared some really great experiences with us. Um, we didn't have a guest on our 22nd episode, but we did on our 23rd. That's right. When we spoke with Erica Viegas, who is a gifted local musician. And actually got an email from her pretty recently where she just wanted to see how we were doing. I said, I, I don't think Scott's going to make it. <laughs> and she was very sad. But she... When we spoke with her, she was working at the U of A as well as making music. Now she's just doing the music thing. 
So She's decided to drop everything and pursue her dream. And rightly so, because she is, again, an incredibly talented woman who uh, we should probably get back on the show at some yeah, point. Yeah, we absolutely should, because she is very, very talented. She's got a beautiful voice, and uh, I really, really enjoyed her album, which is actually on sale. If you go to ericaviegas.com, you can download her, her album, and a dollar from every purchase will go to a charity. So Erica believes in giving back. When we believe in Erica. <laughs> so there you go. So there you go. Linda Steele. Linda Steele. Dined to uh, come and join us in the in the, uh, in the the studio. Yeah. Which was... we were incredibly thrilled by because She's... she is a wonderful person yeah. and she was more than happy to talk to us. We were surprised. I, I was surprised. I, I, well, I mean, I, we I, variously because of Twitter and, and we had sort of a longstanding relationship with her. And the thing that I love about Linda is that she is a... She's a local TV personality, and it's never gone to her head, ever. She uses her power for good, not evil. And in fact, uh, sadly, we will lose her to the province of British Columbia in August. Her husband um, got a job with the RCMP. He was with the Edmonton Police Force. We got a job with the RCMP. So they're moving back to Vancouver, I think. And uh, so Linda's only going to be with Global Edmonton until August this year, and that I'm not afraid to say it. It fucking blows because Linda is great and I just love what she does for the community. She is definitely one of Edmonton's luminaries and we will be left darker because of her loss. That's right. That's right. There's a special hole in our hearts as she leaves. Um, Nathan's yeah, great. Nathan Box. Nathan Box. Moving on. Nathan Box was is the founder of Elm Cafe. You've been to Elm. Yes. I've been to Elm. Yes. I actually, Elm is out of my way. I almost never drive past it unless I'm leaving the downtown core going west. But I'll try and make it to his cafe at least once a week to buy a coffee in the morning. Because, I don't know, because it's the best damn coffee I've ever had, first of all. Like, seriously, the best latte in the city can be had at Elm Cafe. And I love going into a place where just like on Cheers, people know who you are. I love chatting with a friend in the morning over coffee that I have paid him for. And you talk about the coffee, and I'll mention the food. Uh, it is it is a cafe. It's not like a restaurant. But every day they do offer up a different assortment of sandwiches, and they're always all delicious. So uh, if you are in the downtown area, you could do worse than to seek out Elm Cafe. If you've never been, you should definitely go out of your way, in fact, to try it even just once. And I'll I'll almost guarantee you will be back at some point in the future. Elm's on 117th Street, just north of Jasper. And there's some exciting news for Nate, actually, because he's expanding the cafe. They're taking over some space above them so that they can stage their food prep. And they're going to be doing, I believe, more catering, more takeout. Um, It just frees up. Because if you've been there, you know it's a very small space. It'll free up their, their prep area so they can really focus on coffee inside the cafe and bring food down from upstairs where it's prepared. So um, congratulations to Nate. And I know that he's working on other stuff. I promised I wouldn't say anything, but this is a rising star in the food community in Edmonton. And we're actually fortunate that we've got a few of those in the city. Um, But not just rising stars in the restaurant industry. We have a really strong software development community. And in fact, um, earlier in 2010, uh, Empire Avenue launched. And Empire Avenue is a stock market of people and brands um, where you can basically, I can buy stock in Scotty Bomb 
which I recommend you all do. You go to empireavenue.com and you look up Scotty Bomb and just buy some of his shares after you've signed up. But So we spoke with uh, Tom Oley from uh, from Empire Avenue. He, hand- he handles all, the, all of their marketing and PR. And uh, Tom's a great guy. T- Tom was a guest that was interesting, really, really focused on talking about the network. But he's the kind of guy that I would like to take out for a beer or that I would like to be taken out for a beer by. Yes. That was really, really... Um, really what you're saying is you would like someone to buy you a beer. Basically. Yes. And that episode marked the end of our first season. And now Sex Talk brought to you by the Traveling Tickle Trunk. Hey, I'm Lauren from the Traveling Tickle Trunk. Are you thinking of picking up something naughty for that special someone on your Christmas list? With so many options, it can be hard to choose. We at the Tickle Trunk want to help you pick the perfect gift, so we've put together a list of our favorites. If you're searching for a romantic gift, we love the luxurious Jimmy Jane Afterglow Candles. They're beautiful candles with a little secret. They're actually solid massage oil. When lit, they liquefy into warm oil, ready to pour on the skin for a sensual massage. Pair this with their elegant Contour M Massager, and you've got a gift that will keep on giving. For the more adventurous, you can't beat the best-selling toy on the planet, the Wii Vibe 2. This little wonder has two vibrators and is designed to provide internal and external sensations all at the same time. It's the only toy in the world that a woman can wear internally while having sex with her partner. The Wii Vibe is made of silicone and it's rechargeable. It's the perfect travel toy. The Wii Vibe 2 now comes in three different colors, including green and red, just in time for Christmas. If you'd like to combine romantic and racy, our favorite toy maker Lilo has something new for you. Lilo's Etheria cuffs are made of soft, luxurious suede. They tie around the wrists or ankles, leaving the ribbon ties free to be bound anywhere you like. Etheria cuffs are beautiful and sensual with a sexy, naughty edge. They come in purple, black, and red. For the practical gift giver who also appreciates a little style, there's the Liberator Throws. These plush blankets look like any other, but the microfiber covering and specially designed core soak up liquids, leaving your sheets clean and dry. Liberator throws are lightweight and machine washable. They feel amazing on the skin, perfect for a sexy romp without the mess. To help you with your holiday shopping, we've included these items and eight other favorites in our 12 Days of Christmas event. Beginning December 10th, one item is featured each day at 30% off the regular price. Be sure to check our list and mark your calendar, because each item is on sale for that one day only. Find the complete list at TravelingTickleTrunk.com or on our Facebook page at Facebook slash TravelingTickleTrunk. To be sure you don't miss a thing, join our Facebook page and receive a reminder notice of the sale item for the following day. Happy Holidays from the Traveling Tickle Trunk. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction you need to seek out? The Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878.
our segue into our second glorious season where we experienced a change of format. That's right. That's when we decided to do this segment stuff, which has proven to be a lot more work than the way we were doing it before. To a certain extent. But the, well, for me, like, because I I do a lot of the segment stuff because Scott works during the day. His job's not as flexible as mine that my job allows me to go out and kind of do whatever I not want. Not that I don't pull my weight on the episodes That's because I do saying. all of the post-production Absolutely. Work. And you do segments. You do your own segments yes. as well. Um, but I think the payoff has been huge. Agreed. I think that the, the show has... Uh, the quality of the show has been uh, affected in a tremendously positive fashion by, by our segmenting and by our new format and uh, with our new production elements. It's been... Uh, really a step up in the quality of the show that we present, as far as I'm concerned. And it, I agree with you, and it allowed us to do a few things that I'll get to in a moment. Um, but we started our second season with a new format and an old guest. Brittany LeBlanc. We brought Brittany LeBlanc back. Um, TrueBrittle.com is where you can find her. And um, we brought her back, be- well, among other reasons, because she's really interesting. And because she was our first guest. And because she never got to do a Fast 15. And she was always needling us about that always fact. like she constantly. because we had invented the fast 15 in the second episode so while she, we were recording so she missed it so she missed it yeah. and uh so we went back to our first location with our first guest and we just kind of shot the breeze with her and it was great it was great and uh, i'd love to have her back on the show again she's doing very interesting things around uh she did a hackathon yep. um, this past year. With it was a it was an event that was coordinated with the city of Edmonton's IT people and a whole bunch of software development um, folks from the city. And if you don't know what a hackathon is, it's where you sit down and write a program using code until it's done. And they did this over a twenty four hour period. Uh, as I understand it, it was a great success, even though everyone was exhausted by the end of it. Uh, ben. Jelena of the Edmonton Journal yeah, joined me uh, in the studio for our second episode of our second season. And it was Scott's, it was a solo effort. Uh, Because you were out of town. That's right. And just could not be there. But uh, Ben and I talked about video games and he had actually approached us and said, I would love to be on your show. I love your show. Please have me on. We'll talk about whatever you want. And we were like, well, you're a video game guy. We'll talk about video games. And we had a great conversation. Yeah, it was was a really great episode. And... uh, it's uh, another example of how we will uh, have anybody in the on the show. If you're out there listening right now and you have an idea for a show and it's a good one, shoot us a line. Yeah. Tell us because Ben's episode was fantastic. It stemmed from a great conversation with a knowledgeable person. And that's nine times out of ten what we're looking for is a great conversation with a knowledgeable person. Yeah, and it's it, – it's, uh, I mean, you don't have to be doing anything that's earth-shattering um, if, you're, if you think – or know that you're doing something interesting, or you just want to come on the show and scold Scott and I. I mean, we're totally open to that. Um, this is we do this for you. I mean, it's entertaining for ourselves, but I don't know about you, Scott. I look forward to knowing that people are downloading the show. Agreed. And, I like uh, to I like to present uh, an informative show, even if it's on just a weird topic, so long as it's somewhat informative and entertaining, so that people will continue to listen and hopefully get something out of it. So uh, even if it's just uh, <laughs> enduring hatred for us, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've made a lot of enemies and a lot of mistakes. Oh my God! And we'll continue to do so. Pro- we promise to continue to do actively. So. We yes. will actively make mistakes. Who did we have after Ben? After that, we had Chris Martiniak from Yeg Live on the show, 
And uh, for those of you who don't know, yeglive.ca is a website that basically aggregates every single live event in the city. It gives you information on who's playing there, what the venue is, and even allows you to buy tickets. They've got some pretty nifty integration with smartphones, too. And uh, based on that, uh, no secret, I work on the board with uh, the Pure Speculation Festival that goes up every year. Right. We were looking for a new way to do our registrations. And uh, based on my recommendation, because literally the week before we had spoken to Chris, I hooked up Pure Spec with Yeglive, and Yeglive ran the ticketing system at Pure Spec this last You're year. You're kidding. To great success. That's fantastic. And we will be absolutely staying with them into the future. So it's another example of how the strange connections happen through our show. Yeah, that's that's Edmonton for you, as as filmmaker Trevor Anderson would say. Um, after that, you went away. Yes, I was away for uh, a few weeks in Indianapolis, so I was not around to do the show. And so this is why I was saying earlier, thank God we started doing segments, because it allowed <laughs> me to smash together some version of the Unknown Studio. It was a shorter episode, and we call it the Variety Show, and it was just me interviewing people. And my co-host was <laughs> Optimus Prime, Prime who, was, uh, who I met, actually, also in Indianapolis. That's right. So he, uh, he was pulling double duty for both of us. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, he can fly, so. That's true. Yeah. Um, then Dan Kazor, speaking of flying, came back from Toronto. <laughs> yes, he did. Wow, we're just segueing like the Dickens over here. Uh, like the Dickens. Indeed. Dan is uh, a friend of the show. He's a friend of both of ours. Yep. And he, this is another example of someone who just was like, I want to be on your show. We'll talk about whatever. And we yeah. were like, done. And he actually works as a website editor for the National Post. So, gosh, I don't even remember what we talked with Dan about. We talked, we didn't have a set subject. Yeah. And we just kind of shot the breeze on, on a number of things, uh, including... Uh, what it's the differences between Edmonton and Toronto, and just we talked about some pop culture stuff that came to mind. We were all over the board, but it was a wonderful conversation. Now we'll just speed it up a little bit here because we're uh, sort of running out of time. Um, but after that, we had uh, the editors of On Spec Magazine on the show, Susan McGregor and Diane Walton. Yes, and uh, they told us about the whole history of the magazine and the process they go through to pick the speculative fiction that they publish, and they were really fun. Actually, it was a really fun. Uh a really fun episode. And a good lead into, well, eventually Pure Spec. Yes. Even though we, we recorded with them quite a bit before then. but uh, We had Sean Healy and Joel Jackson on to talk about uh, winning an award for an iPhone app that they developed. That's right. They did something with um, for the city's uh, Apps for Edmonton contest. And uh, we then just recently spoke with them again at launch party yep. uh, about a new project that they're working on. It yeah, Robot Rhythm, that's yeah. right. So and they've so, been on, on to do other great things since then. And if uh, if you're the kind of person who likes to go to events like Pecha Kucha in Edmonton, I'm actually working with Sean to develop a presentation about survival in Edmonton when the zombie apocalypse happens. Inevitably when it happens, yeah. yes. Uh, another sponsor... Yeah, we got to have... Uh, Came on the show. Yeah, that's right. Owen Brierley from Guru Digital Arts College. What did we talk to him about? Design? I believe so. And, and and how awesome his college is, basically. And we didn't do that because he was a sponsor. <laughs> we did it because we genuinely believe that Guru is awesome. It is an awesome place. A sight to behold, really. Uh, then we had Daryl Plunkey from Edmonton join us. Yeah, that was our Halloween episode. Um an opportunity to talk about Edmonton's Halloween festival. It was the Halloween equivalent of a Christmas episode. Yes. Sort I, of. I would agree with that. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. And then, actually, before we go on to what our next, uh, our last three episodes have been, 
That was right around election time. And yep. you and I had the opportunity to work with the people that we love at the Edmontonian.com yep. on their live election show. And that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun and arguably very successful because by the end of the night, we were the second most watched election coverage in Edmonton. Yeah, because all the big networks decided that they'd rather program their networks with Dancing with the Stars. Yep. And Edmonton's election was an interesting one because um, there were a lot of hot button issues. And I don't think people were very certain where the votes would go. I think that there was... I think there was a certain level of assurance. A lot of people kind of felt that the election would turn out largely the way it did. But there was there was in the back of their minds, there was some doubt because there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of people who who looked like they could be contenders in a lot of areas. Yeah, agreed. And that and that gave rise to our electioneering. Uh, episode that came, we released an election wrap-up episode after the election. And we spoke to a lot of uh, interesting people who were in in various different facets That's right. Uh, involved with the election and the election process this year. So it was a very interesting episode and worth checking out if you haven't. Now speaking of pure spec again, uh, while Scott was there he got to meet a guy who's doing some interesting stuff in Edmonton and that led to our next episode, episode 37. We had Matthew Marshall on the show, the creator and uh, and star of Middleman. A uh, local filmmaker, independent filmmaker, who's actually started to have some success, actually. Uh, Middleman has uh, become something of a, a cult hit in the city. Yeah. And has actually had screenings at, like, Metro and uh, Happy Harbor downtown. And, uh, yeah, he's really excited and is hoping that in the, in the near future he's going to be able to start working on more films. We had a lot of fun in that episode. I feel like we've never laughed so much before. We did a lot of laughs. And we said a lot of obscene things, which you is normal. said I, more I, obscene things. It was things me. Really it was, it was all me. Now, our most recent episode was uh, something very different for Scott and I. Yes. And uh, th- there's two reasons I'm glad that we did it. One is that um, it was really fun, and I think we had some tremendous discussions. And two, relatedly, it forced us to spend some of our sponsorship money yeah. on podcasting equipment. Which is something we'd been hoping to do anyway. Yeah. So now we've got some microphones and and. That plus our digital recorder allowed us to go into a mass media classroom at McEwen University on in the West End, and we had Archie McLean, the chair of the journalism program there, on the show, and we had his whole class on the show. And it was a wonderful conversation. It was. We talked about uh, the democratization of media. It's a big word. Yes. It means everyone gets to play. <laughs> so people like us. People like us get to create our own shows. Now, I mean, that's a... Not so quick look at our last season. What do we have it planned? Was, you know what? That was almost like a where are they now, too, because yeah. a lot yeah. of our other guests, a lot of our guests over the last while have gone on to do other great things. So now, nice it, little way to shout out to them. In a few moments, Scott and I are going to do our gift exchange, and then after that, we'll bring Daryl Hook onto the show. Um, but before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about what we have planned for next year. Um, and I had lunch earlier this month with uh, Owen Brierley from Guru and Beth Query, who's also, she's an instructor at Guru. She, I think she teaches a lot of the fundamental courses. And they, one of their students is going to redesign our website. So in 2011, not right away, but probably towards the end of January, beginning of February, the Unknown Studios website will change and it will be a custom design because we've been using a free theme that's worked very well for us, but I feel like we're, we've come into our own. 
And so um, I developed a request for proposal that I sent out to Guru, and one of their students will be assigned to redeveloping our website. So I'm pretty excited about that. And um, another thing that we're going to be getting into is a monthly e-newsletter. I've, I've created the sign-up page and everything, and we actually have a few people who've signed up for our e-newsletter, but I haven't sent anything out yet. We want to be able to do contests and exclusive promotions to our loyal listeners. So it's going to be a loyal, listening, loyal listener program, basically using the internets. So if you go to our website right now at theunknownstudio.ca and scroll down a little bit, on the right-hand side you'll see a bunch of icons where you can subscribe to the podcast, our RSS feed, and all that stuff. There's also a link there that says subscribe to our e-newsletter. So if you do that, at the beginning of January we'll be sending out our first message. And uh, I promise you that it will be not very boring. It'll be explosive. Explosive, that's right. Finally, well, no, I've got two more things to say. One of the other things. Penultimately. One of the other things, and I know that you've got a few things that maybe you want to share. Uh, Is that fair? Or do you want to leave them hanging? Well, I'll leave you. I have some plans as well, but I won't won't get into it. Mostly plans to do with the website, but I won't get into it this episode. We'll we'll talk about it next year. So there's there's a cliffhanger for you. There's a reason that you should listen again. Because I will tell you about exciting things then. But Scott and I mused uh, earlier this year about doing more video. Um, And we were fully prepared to do it. Um, We had a flip video camera. Which then broke. Which then broke. Unexplainedly. Like, we have no idea what's wrong with it. But, Scott, I have acquired a new camera. Oh, fantastic. And um, it's damn good. So we can finally chronicle the madness. That's right. On video. And so we have some ideas about what we're going to do with that, but uh, without revealing too much. Um, well, you'll just have to wait and see. Um, now, next year, we've already got some pretty interesting guests lined up. And Scott left you with a cliffhanger, but I'm going to give you a reason to tune into our first episode in 2011. And that is because we will be speaking with Mayor Stephen Mandel uh, about his vision for Edmonton over the next three years. Arguably the biggest interview that the Unknown Studio has ever landed. That's correct. Hopefully not the last big interview. No. Hopefully not even the biggest interview. But definitely big. But definitely big and definitely the biggest we've had to date. So that is definitely a reason to do it. So if any of you have ideas for questions to ask him, uh, send us an email. Send them to the show at theunknownstudio.ca and we'll do our best to ask him your questions. Now before we move on, because we've teased it and uh, we have Daryl Hook patiently waiting that's right to be on the show uh we have a christmas tradition and i say tradition very loosely because we only ever did it last year i think that as of this year it becomes a tradition and we want it to be a tradition that's right because we're both generous people we are and uh that is the uh unknown studio gift exchange that's right yes now, uh, we kind of talked about having our respective other halves in on this this year, but unfortunately that didn't, just couldn't work out. Right. It just was not in the cards. But perhaps next year we will have the ladies join us in fact, for our Christmas episode. It, in it fact, will probably, probably be much easier because by that time we'll have all of our studio equipment and we'll be able to do this at our convenience. Uh, we might even do the Unknown Studio Christmas special next year at Fireside with the ladies as our guests. Oh, that would be wonderful. Indeed. Absolutely. So, uh, but enough of that. Yes. Let's get to the good juicy part. We have presents. That's right. We have presents to exchange. And now last year, who opened first? I honestly can't recall, and I don't care to look it up. Okay. (laughs) So here you are, Scott, from me to you, with assistance uh, from your fiancé. 
She helped me. She sent me some ideas. And uh, for the record, well, we'll get to that in a moment. Right. Now, uh, I did not write anything on your present. But, but I had uh, a You had yeah. a Sharpie, and you wrote something on mine, which says, to a great co-host and a dear friend, love Adam, which is touching, and uh, you can't see it, but I am, in fact, getting a little misty. He is. He is. Uh, now, this feels as though it may, in fact, be a game of the video variety. But That, that could well be. Uh, it may also be a DVD. It, could it, is, it is in the shape of something that would have some manner of disc oh, inside Oh, just open it. the present. So I'm going to, you can hear it. And it is a video game. It is a Wii game, a game for my Wii. It <laughs> is Arc Rise Fantasia. Wii. Now, I, I wanted this game based on reviews. I've, I've never played it. I am a fan of the old school JRPGs, as they are called, the Japanese style RPG game. Your your Final Fantasies would yeah. fall into that, and uh, this was reviewed as uh, kind of a throwback to those Super Nintendo JRPGs, uh, that kind of gameplay and story, and uh, that alone made me want to play it. So I put it on my Christmas list, and now I have it. Well, there you go. So Adam, uh, thank you very much. Merry Christmas, Scott. Thank you. Now I have something for you. Oh, you do. And the story with this is that my lovely fiance also helped me get <laughs> this for you because she went out while I was at work before we recorded this episode uh, and scoured for something we had in mind to get you. Unfortunately, she couldn't find it, but she found something else equally awesome. Wonderful. I'm and I know excited. what it is. It's excited. not a surprise to me as well. And when I, when I was talking about going Christmas shopping for you earlier today on Twitter, you indicated to me that you had agents out there looking for a gift for me. Indeed. And uh, and I guess you weren't lying. It's true. So nice to have a, a significant other who can basically help out in that well, way. You know? And she volunteered. Like, we, we were going to go out earlier this week, and it, uh, just we're both busy people at this time of year, and it, it didn't quite come together. And so uh, she said, you know what? Don't worry about it. On Saturday, while you're at work, I will go out, and I will find something. And I have to say the choice of wrapping paper is ideal. It's a bunch of uh, Christmas robots with presents all around. So it's very wonderful. Thank you. Here we go with the opening. Oh my gosh! It's a Star Trek. Seen it. <laughs> the DVD trivia game. Fantastic. Now this covers, let me see. It's the deluxe edition. And so it covers all the films, all the TV shows, and I believe all the Enterprises are here as well. Does it not? Does this include Enterprise? Yes, it does. Because there's Jonathan Cap Archer. Captain Archer is standing there smugly in the background behind uh, Benjamin, mother-loving Cisco. <laughs> and yes, it's uh, this is awesome, man. We we will play this later on uh, this week when as we, we should when we get together to, to do some Christmas decorating. I think uh, I think that uh, there are some other Star Trek fans who should be involved in that. Agreed. Indeed. In fact, we should go out of our way to plan. We, we, we still need to do our Star Trek episode. It's true. Uh, Adam has, since practically day one, a year and a half ago, yeah. uh, said that he wants to do just a Star Trek episode where we just nerd out on Star Trek. Because, no secret, he's a Star Trek fan. Obviously. We have yet to do that. Not because of lack of, uh, of interest in doing it, just because we haven't gotten it together. Well, and we've got a, a concept for the the whole thing, and we're very excited to roll it out. Eventually, we just need the right people in the room. Yes. So look for that coming in the future. Scott, from my family to yours. And from my family right back at you. Merry Christmas. 
and a Merry Christmas to you. Now, we're going to go away for a moment, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Daryl Hook, one of the dudes behind the dudes behind 630 Ched Santa's Anonymous. Ted pulled open the door to the coffee shop. Inside, the smell of assembly line cookies and artificial pumpkin spice hit him hard. It took him a moment to spot Helen sitting at the table. She had a frown on her face, impatient. His sister always looked like she was late for something, even when she had been a toddler. What could a two-year-old be late for, anyway? Helen looked up, but didn't say hello. Instead, she said, the party starts at 4.30. Try not to be late. Every year, his sister held a family Christmas party in her home. It was the usual affair, family and friends and turkey and forced conversation. Every year, he tried to pretend he couldn't make it. That was a difficult task, however, as he lived in the apartment above his sister's garage. It's not like he hated Christmas, or his family. It's just that he wasn't particularly fond of either. He was entirely neutral when it came to Christmas. Helen, however, loved it. Every year, the brother and sister gathered their armies for a standoff in the coffee shop. But now, for the first time, one of them gave up some ground. Helen sighed and said, Look, if you come and actually celebrate, I'll leave you alone for the rest of the week. You can do whatever it is you like doing. Just come for Christmas Eve. Ted didn't have time to accept, or decline, or debate. By the time he had opened his mouth, she was already out of the coffee shop. Seemed like she was late for something. Ted had three gingerbread cookies before he worked up the courage to brave the cold once more. One night to be left alone for the rest of the holiday season. He could handle that, couldn't he? Of course, he knew Helen. She'd never let him get away with sitting in the corner and hiding. She was expecting him to take part, even enjoy the holiday. That was going to take some work. Ted continued to think as he got on the bus. Lots of people liked Christmas. Reasonable people. People that weren't Helen. So something worthwhile had to be there, right? Ted looked up as the bus powered up the hill. He spotted a billboard. Celebrate the season, it said, in gaudy red and green letters. Family. Charity. Joy. Ted scrawled those words down in an old notebook that he kept. Family. Charity. Joy. That seemed like a good start. Family. Helen's party was always the main event for Ted's family, but there were smaller satellite parties before the big night. Dinner at Aunt Mary's was one. Most years, Ted would claim some sort of exotic disease to keep him from having to show up. So everyone was surprised when he arrived at the front door with a bottle of mid-priced Australian wine and a dessert. Store-bought gelatin, the kind with bits of what everyone assumes to be fruit, but no one is exactly sure what kind. After a few moments of hesitation, Ted started mingling with his family. He listened to his third cousin Meredith as she described, in excruciating detail, the side effects of her latest hip replacement. 
He even sat and politely listened to Uncle Duncan's odd and frankly disturbing views on multiculturalism. Ted suffered through two hours, six glasses of homemade wine, and numerous off-color jokes before he finally gave up and made his escape out the back door. When safely away from the house, Ted pulled out his notebook and crossed out the word family. Charity. Ted had never built a house before. The closest he had ever come to being a handyman were the small projects he did around the garage suite. Those included filling a hole in the wall with newspaper and putting up pictures with duct tape. But today, Ted was to build a house. He had signed on with one of those charities that builds houses for people who can't afford them. It quickly became apparent that Ted was never destined to be a carpenter. Within the first hour, he had hit every finger on his left hand with the hammer, at least twice. He had also managed to wall himself in while putting up drywall in a closet. It took him over an hour and a half to break out of the prison with a claw hammer. Another three hours to redo the entire job. By the time he had finished, the sun was beginning to set. Ted took a pencil and scratched the word charity out of his notebook as he walked home. Joy. Wednesday morning came too early for Ted. Helen's party was the next day, so it was his last chance. And he had saved the worst for last. Joy. Ted didn't do joy. Joy seemed exhausting. Ted was content with being content. He exited out the back of a cab in front of a farmhouse on the edge of the city. It was one of those farms that didn't make much money from actually growing things. Instead, most of the income came from corn mazes and the petting zoo. But this time of year, the real money was in putting on Santa's workshop. The ad Ted had seen in the newspaper said that this was the most joyous place in the city. That's exactly what he was looking for. As Ted got closer to the neat little farmhouse, he could hear the sounds of excited children screaming from inside. Outside, he could see one harried young mother trying to keep her three kids under control. Two of them were pushing each other into the snow. The third, the youngest one, was drinking out of the trough that had been set aside for the farm's solitary, sickly-looking reindeer. Ted surveyed the scene. Then he turned on his heel and started to wave down the cab before it had a chance to pull away. Soon, he had his notebook on his lap with the word joy crossed out. On the ride back, Ted thought. Christmas had to have some good points, didn't it? Well, he did like the time off. And he liked that the heavy snow this time of year kept solicitors from knocking on his door. And Ted did like how his co-workers came back after big family dinners having gained weight. It made him feel better about his physique. Ted thought about it, then decided not to write down those reasons. They sounded like something a psychopath would write down. Instead, Ted took out his pencil and his notebook and wrote two simple words. Faking it. Ted left the garage suite and was at Helen's front door by quarter after four. He had skipped the gelatin and instead came with a quiche. Helen seemed... Well, he wouldn't use the word impressed, but she wasn't disappointed, which was pretty much a first. And so, for the rest of the night, Ted faked it. He forced laughter at his brother-in-law's bad jokes. He pretended to be interested in the Christmas play that the children put on. 
even if the pacing was all over the place and the plot went nowhere, he clapped. Ted didn't have to fake it when it came to the pumpkin pie, however. That was quite good. Throughout the evening, Helen hadn't said a word. She just stared at him, confused, as if it was a Christmas miracle. Or he was replaced with a pod person. If so, it was a pod person who was far more agreeable than her actual brother. Unlike previous years, he didn't hide in the corner, nor did he try to skip out within an hour. He stayed until around 11 o'clock. As he put on his shoes, Helen got up, came over, and gave him a tight hug. Merry Christmas, Ted. I'll see you after New Year's. And those words brought the first genuine smile of the night to Ted's lips. Pretending to enjoy Christmas, it was exhausting. Ted went back to his garage suite. He closed the door, poured himself a drink, and dropped down onto his small, uncomfortable couch. Was it Helen coming to demand he come over for presents tomorrow morning? That didn't seem fair. He had kept up his side of the bargain. Well, kind of. He didn't really celebrate Christmas, but at least he pretended to. Ted rose up out of the chair, made his way to the door, and opened it. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry, Merry, Merry As they sang, Ted poked his head out the door. He looked towards Helen's house and watched the windows go dark as the family went to bed. And when he was sure that no one was watching, Ted took a breath and slammed the door before returning to his chair. It was the best Christmas Eve ever. Sorry, honey. But, Dad, all my friends are getting it for Christmas. Please, Dad, please! I'm sorry, but we can't afford a turkey this year. For some families, a warm meal is out of reach during the holidays. Please, donate at christmasbureau.ca to ensure no one spends Christmas hungry. Now, a dramatic reading with Scott C. Bourgeois. Twas the nocturnal segment of the diurnal period preceding the annual Yuletide celebration, and throughout our place of residence, kinetic activity was not in evidence among the possessors of this potential, including that species of domestic rodent known as the Mus musculus, Hosiery was meticulously suspended from the forward edge of the wood-burning caloric apparatus, pursuant to our anticipatory pleasure regarding the imminent visitation from an eccentric philanthropist among whose folkloric appellations is the honorific title of St. Nicholas. 
The prepubescent siblings, comfortably ensconced in their respective accommodations of repose, were experiencing subconscious visual hallucinations of varied fruit confections moving rhythmically through their cerebrums. My conjugal partner and I, attired in our nocturnal head coverings, were about to take slumberous advantage of the hibernal darkness, when upon the avenacious exterior portion of the grounds there ascended such a cacophony of dissonance that I felt compelled to arise with alacrity from my place of repose for the purpose of ascertaining the precise source thereof. Hastening to the casement, I forthwith opened the barrier, sealing this fenestration, noting thereupon the lunar brilliance without, reflected as it was upon the surface of the recent crystalline precipitation, might be said to rival that of the solar meridian itself, thus permitting my incredulous optical sensory organs to behold a miniature airborne runnered conveyance drawn by eight diminutive specimens of the genus Rangifer piloted by a minuscule aged chauffeur so ebullient and nimble that it became instantly apparent to me that he was indeed our anticipated caller. With his ungulate motive power traveling at what may possibly have been a more veritiginous velocity than patriotic Alar predators, he vociferated loudly, expelled breath musically through contracted labia, and addressed each of the octet by his or her respective cognomen, now Dasher, now Dancer, Aeol guiding them to the uppermost exterior level of our abode, through which structure I could readily distinguish the concatenations of each of the 32 cloven pedal extremities. As I retracted my cranium from its erstwhile location and was performing a 180-degree pivot, our distinguished visitant achieved with utmost celerity and via a downward leap entry by way of the smoke passage. He was clad entirely in animal pelts, soiled by the ebony residue from oxidations of carboniferous fuels, which had accumulated on the walls thereof. His resemblance to a street vendor I attributed largely to the plethora of assorted playthings which he bore dorsally in a commodious cloth receptacle. His orbs were scintillant with reflected luminosity, while his submaxillary dermal indentations gave every evidence of engaging amiability. The capillaries of his malar regions and nasal aperturants were engorged with blood, which sufficed the subcutaneous levels, the former approximating the coloration of Albion's floral emblem, the latter that of the prunus avium, or sweet cherry. His amusing sub- and supralabious resemblance nothing so much as the common loop knot, and their ambient hirsute facial adornment appeared like small tabular and columnar crystals of frozen water. Clenched firmly between his incisors was a smoking piece whose gray fumes, forming a tenuous ellipse about his occupant, were suggestive of a decorative seasonal circlet of holly. His visage was wider than it was high, and when he waxed audibly mirthful, his corpulent abdominal region undulated in the manner of impectinated fruit syrup in a hemispherical container. He was, in short, neither more nor less than an obese, jocund, multigenarian gnome the optical perception of whom rendered me visibly frolicsome despite every effort to refrain from so being. By rapidly lowering and then elevating one eyelid and rotating his head slightly to one side, he indicated that trepidation on my part was groundless. Without utterance and with dispatch, he commenced filling the aforementioned appended hosiery with various of the aforementioned articles of merchandise extracted from his aforementioned previously dorsal transported cloth receptacle. Upon completion of this task, he executed an abrupt about face, placed a single manual digit in lateral juxtaposition to his olfactory organ, inclined his cranium forward in a gesture of leave-taking, and forthwith effected his egress by renegotiating in reverse the smoke passage. He then propelled himself in a 
short vector onto his conveyance, directed a musical expulsion of air through his contracted oral sphincter to the antlered quadruplets of burden, and proceeded to soar aloft in a movement hitherto observable chiefly among the seed-bearing portions of the common weed. But I overheard his parting exclamation audible immediately prior to his vehiculation beyond the limits of visibility, ecstatic yuletide to the planetary constituency, and to the self-same assemblage my sincerest wishes for a salubriously beneficial and gratifyingly pleasurable period between sunset and dawn. Now, before we move on, we should, we should yeah. uh, take a moment to thank our sponsors at this point. Okay. We'd like to thank our three wonderful sponsors. The first of and, and foremost, but not the least, which is not what people normally say, but we'd like to thank the, the Edmonton, Edmonton Journal. That's right. Those ink-stained wretches have seen fit to support us over, well, the last year at least, um, and they do so by providing links to us from their website. Their journalists talk about us, and they feel like we're doing good work. So that's some form of validation for us in a lot of ways. And uh, we are very thankful and, uh, and we like our relationship with them. We've had, as we've mentioned, we've had journal people on, Ben Jelinus, Karen Unland. Hopefully we'll have future ones as Absolutely. Well, so. We had Archie McLean on. He still writes for the yes, journal. Yes, that's true. So we'd like to wish our friends at the Edmonton Journal a very Merry Christmas. And uh, if you haven't checked it out already... They have just recently launched an iPad app. So if you go to the App Store on your iPad and look up Edmonton Journal, it's a great application, and uh, I'm excited to see what they're going to be able to do with it. Next up, of course, and we've already mentioned them as well, our good friends at Guru Digital Arts College. A fantastic place with fantastic people, and if you are looking for a change in career, check out a career in uh, in the digital arts. That's right. Guru. Yeah, uh, web design and all that stuff. And we're grateful to the support we've received from them and will continue to receive into 2011 as, as they redesign our website. Indeed. It's very exciting. We'd also like to thank our wonderful friends at the Traveling Tickle Trunk, Edmonton's sex-positive adult toy store. Um, they've been providing uh, content to the show since June. And the occasional uh, prize support as well, some contests and some uh, some special offers uh, to listeners of the show, and they will continue to do that. And we're very grateful to have their support because they're, they get it. They're a local business that knows that it's great to support other local businesses. And so we've done our best to try and help them out, and we love their sex talk segment. So thank you to Brenda, to Lauren, and to all the staff at the Traveling Tickle Trunk. A very Merry Christmas to you. All right. We've left him waiting. We have left him waiting. He's been, he actually came up from, he, he arose from the darkness uh, a good 10 minutes ago. And uh, he's been sitting here quietly while we've been finishing our recap of the year. And uh, he is a man who we've wanted to have on the show for some time and just have, somehow he fell through the cracks again and again. I think it's because he's elusive and extremely busy. He's actually one of the busiest people I know. Indeed. But he's here now. He is Daryl Hook. And International he, man of mystery. Yeah, well, that's actually how I describe and, you. And some people, some people might actually recognize your voice. I thought you guys were taking a break because 
ever since you coughed, I have to clear my throat now. <laughs> and I've been sitting here, and it's been tickling me like crazy, but I'll, I'll get over it. Yeah, you just have to clear the throat. Now, okay. now, if people don't know you or don't think they know you, they might. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but you occasionally voice commercials on 630 Chat and iNews 880. I've even been known to host, when Leslie uh, Primo was ill or on holidays, um, a couple episodes, I think about 12 episodes of uh, Talk to the Experts. Really? So I, I've like talked for an hour at a time. That on the is, radio, that and, was scary. And I think you can and tell. And fun. You can tell because of that beautiful voice. I do voice a lot of commercials, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would like to hear that voice come out of a, out of a furry cartoon animal at some point. Hopefully the bad guy, like bad rabbit or somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Evil rabbit. Now, your, your history with uh, 630 Chet and Chorus Entertainment is long in story, is it not? It is, actually. And I um, started in 1973. That is long and storied. Actually, 37 years this month. Well, congratulations. Wow. I don't think people stay at jobs that long anymore. I know. I, I think uh, I actually thought I'd, I'd get into it, be there for a couple of years, write my best-selling novel, and get the hell out. But I, I'm, I can honestly say I still look forward to coming to work every day. I have fun every day at work, and I love the people I work with. And so right now you are... Some exceptions. <laughs> and uh, I think he's sitting across from you, yeah. actually. He's I'm, not in the I've room. literally been here the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> now you are working in the promotions and advertising department? Um, it's called client services. It's primarily research and creative concepts. Okay. So in that's, a nutshell. But that's not always what you did. Like you said, you've hosted Started shows. out as a copywriter. Wow. I did... Uh, then I was creative director, then production manager... I was a production manager, promotions manager as well. Then back to being creative director. And then I went one day from writing ads to being the program director of a news talk giant, <laughs> 630 Ched. And I have to tell you, I had an upset stomach of like from being nervous for six months. It was like the worst six months <laughs> of my life, but what a fantastic opportunity. And then uh, our general manager came up to me after I'd done Ched for six years, and he said, uh, you know, I've got this idea for a new job. I need I need somebody who knows programming, knows sales, knows this, knows that. And I thought, he's kind of describing like a one-man little mini ad agency. And he goes, if you would like to try it. And I said, yeah, I want to do this. And he goes, tell you what, you start, and then we'll write the job description based on whatever it is you do. And I thought, no one is ever going to give me a leap of faith like that to kind of create my own gig. And it's been the best job I've ever had. Wow. That sounds awesome. Now, what about this novel you were speaking of? Was that more information than you wanted? No, not at all. <laughs> no, I wanted your resume. Uh, I actually like a copy of it as well. I uh, uh, All my life I knew I wanted to be a writer, and I think the trouble was I didn't have enough creative dissonance in my life. I came into this building, and I get to work with creative, energized people every day. And every day I walk out feeling emotionally and creatively fulfilled. And I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't have that driving spark to go home and then start being creative again every night until finally one day, 50 years old, I said, okay, I have to write that novel because if I don't, I never will. And I said, I'm going to commit one hour a day to writing. And I did. And the other thing I did was I said, I'm not just going to sit down and start writing, which was always my big fluke or by my big mistake because I've got 50 unfinished novels in my, uh, <laughs> under my bed. Um, I mapped out the entire thing from start to finish. So when I started to do the writing, I knew how it would end. And it was a fantastic experience. It took me two and a half years to write the book. 
And um, but I did write for an hour every single day. Even if we were out till to a party till three in the morning, we'd come home and I'd say, okay, got my hour to do, and I'd go and lock myself away and do the hour. And it was a fantastic exercise and discipline. But it took me fifty years to to do it. How, and no, I haven't sold the book. How I I couldn't. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could f- force myself not only to spend an hour writing, but but to actually. I don't know, make it cohesive or interesting or compelling. I mean, that's hugely challenging. You know, I just knew that when I was 12 years old, I knew I wanted to be an, a writer. I, I wanted to survive by my wits. And to some degree, that's what I do all day long here. But it, it, it hit me that I was, you know, I think when you hit a milestone birthday, like 30, 40, 50, you reflect back inevitably, you know, even against your will, you can't help but look back and, and uh, see what you've done or not done. And at 50, I said, I haven't written that damn book. I've got to do that. And uh, so now I did, and, and I'm determined to sell it, but uh, I haven't yet. And uh, I think my New Year's resolution is going to be bring it back out, spend an hour a day refining it, send it off again, and uh, get on to number two. That's awesome. I think that's a great New Year's resolution. I agree. And uh, Daryl is, uh, I can speak from uh, from experience. He is incredibly funny, very uh thoughtful, very creative guy. So uh, I think you'll see his name in print now, eventually. Can you, uh, can you give us a hint as to what the, the novel's about? To some degree. Um, the premise of it was, I have two kids who I've watched growing up, and one, one day I was thinking to myself, what would, my, what would have happened to my kids if I hadn't been there to tell them what their limitations might be like maybe they would have surpassed um anything that i would have imagined for them if i wasn't there thinking well a three-year-old can't do this and a five-year-old can't go to the park by himself and bottom line is i put in a 12-year-old girl in in a story in a situation where she was suddenly all on her own and she had to survive on her own or die and it's sort of a science fiction coming of age what can you achieve when there's no one here to say you can't do this or you can't do that Hmm. And uh, it's got ghosts and and kind of like time travel and weird stuff going on, and it's fun. I agree. I think that sounds awesome. I will. I I won't say that I would read that book. I will read that <laughs> book when it is published. So will I. And um, so have you. You say you want to refine it, and then send it out. Have you ever shopped it out to publishing houses before? Yes, I've sent it out to uh, five different Canadian publishing companies. It takes place in. A little town between Edmonton and in the area, like mm-hmm. it kind of refers to Edmonton. Uh, I wanted to keep it Canadian. Of course, it could be. It's it's the story is universal. It could be told in Finland. You know, it's it, it, geographically insignificant. It just uh, I started with Canadian publishers and struck out. So I'll try again. And American publishers. A thought, and this might not even make it into the final cut of the, uh, of the show because it's just curious question you mentioned the character is a is a 12 year old girl uh is it uh, is it the kind of story that you might consider uh shopping out to maybe like uh a young adult publisher well, like could, you could have the next harry potter on your hands well man. and I, I was sort of aiming at the uh harry potter target audience now that of course is everybody because it's become so vastly <laughs> popular but i think when they put the first book together they thought it would be you know 10 to 14 year old kids who would probably read the book and uh, that's what this one is kind of geared to but the thing is 
if you look at, uh, now of course, I bought the book that has a description of all the publishers. Many take children's literature, but not fiction. Some take fiction, but not science fiction. Some take science fiction, but only aim to this. And some take this, but not if there's the word kill in it. Or, you know, and it's, it's amazing. Each one has such specific um, requirements. And so, hmm. and then pl- a lot of them are, I thought I was being really, uh, you know, amazing by writing this really long book so I wanted to prove to myself I could write a legitimate novel and I think I'm about 40,000 words over what most people want <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so kudos I'm, for your discipline and it's actually shot you in the foot and I'm too fain to cut 40,000 words out of it so so that might be the next part of that project well that is what I'm, I'm trying to do I'm trying to wow. uh, I, one of the best books I ever read by Stephen King is the book he writes on writing and he says cut a third of what you write out of the book so I've seen, I don't think he would cut a third out of it, quite frankly, but um, uh, I do want to pare it down a little bit. Uh, FYI, I used to work for a publishing company and have contacts still in the publishing industry, people who read and edit. So after the show, we should compare notes and uh, because I want to see Daryl Hook's name on the cover of a book. And so I will do what I can to make your dream a reality. Well, thanks, buddy. His his Christmas dream. This Yeah, this is what it is. That's You're exactly. my angel. You're my Clarence. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now we've been we've been talking a lot kind of uh, around what we actually brought Daryl on to talk about because it is our Christmas episode. Daryl is uh, heavily involved and has been for a number of years with 630 Ched Santa's Anonymous. Daryl, what is 630 Ched Santa's Anonymous? Well, back in 1954, a little radio station named 630 Ched went on the air. Uh, Jerry Forbes was the program director at that time. Uh, The following year, 630 Ched and four or five other companies started Santa's Anonymous. And Jerry was a big component of that. Uh, Jerry was the one who said, wouldn't it be great if every kid in town could have a new toy? Not just some old toy repaired, blah, 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 but a brand new toy. And utilizing the power of the radio station... They had people do exactly what we still do today, primarily buy a toy, drop it off a location, volunteers would wrap it, and volunteers would deliver it. Uh, the thing is, after the first campaign, all the other companies said, you know, there's just there's not enough need here. I, would, I don't know what they served, probably three or 400 kids maybe. And uh, they all just kind of dropped out. And Jerry said, well, we're going to continue. And, and it just became 630 Chad Santa Anonymous because we were the only ones left kind of holding the bag. And... Um, over the years, uh, it has grown from a couple hundred kids to 25,000 children. And uh, we work very closely with the Christmas Bureau, which it's really interesting to look back at the, at the history of the two organizations. The Bureau was around for about 10 years before we were providing food hampers to families. And uh, we could not do what we do without them. They have the, uh, the social workers who screen everybody. And they also act as an umbrella organization, which, again, shows sort of the can-do spirit of our whole city. Um, If somebody goes to the Mustard Seed Church or Catholic Social Services or um, any other organization, basically Salvation Army, and applies for help, all those names are put into one master list that the Bureau kind of organizes. And that makes sure that every single family in need gets a food hamper and a toy hamper. Uh, Rather than, you know, in some cities, if they weren't quite as coordinated as as we are, and if they didn't have someone like the Bureau to kind of be the umbrella organization, you might have a bunch of families getting four or five hampers and other families being missed out. But uh, here, uh, it's 
it's kind of like a, it's like a big, well-oiled corporate machine, except it's not corporate. It's just a bunch of individuals who sit on boards and, and give of their time and do great work. So how, what, what is the need like this year? Is it, is it that 25,000 you were talking about or how many toys are you guys trying to collect to get out to families? The thing is, we're still taking names. So by our best guess, it will be in that neighborhood of 25,000. But if we suddenly get a rush of people who, um, let's say, are new to town and don't realize we exist, but at the last minute they run to the bureau and get in, you know, and get their names in there, we'll help them if we can, but it could go higher. I, I suspect it'll be 25 or and change, you know, mm-hmm. to be in that ballpark. But uh, a great analogy that we used, one year I was um, uh, chairman of the Christmas Bureau as well as chairman of Santa's Anonymous and uh, my wife was also expecting our second child it was a crazy December um, we uh, had our kickoff that year at the uh, Commonwealth Stadium in the Green and Gold Room and from the Green and Gold Room you can see the entire stadium through the windows there and our host our MC for the kickoff walked up to the windows and said imagine that every seat behind me is filled that's who we're having for dinner and that is that reflects Edmonton's poor. At the time, it was about sixty-two thousand. Now I think it's up to seventy-two thousand. So, yeah. if you imagine that entire building filled, plus the standing room seats, and then people still lingering around in the in the foyer, that would be what the Christmas Bureau provides a meal to, and and the children in that group would be the people that we provide the toys to. Uh, so, you're do, you're you're providing toys to a lot of families. Tell us how it works. You've got drop-off locations throughout the city. I'm guessing. Yeah, we, we try to put the drop-off locations where the toys are so we make it easy for people. If you walk into a Toys R Us, Walmart, Costco, uh, any major shopping center, you'll see a Santa's Anonymous toy box there. And uh, people buy the toys, they drop them off, and there's an amazing amount of respect. Uh, like we have boxes standing pretty much unguarded in shopping centers, and they're very rarely rifled through. You know, people see them and they know where the toys are going and they, they respect that. Uh, we have a staff of volunteers, not staff, they're not paid, um, volunteers uh, from the Northern Alberta Sports Car Club and some other people who take on a mall. So if you you came on board, you'd be assigned, uh, let's say, uh, West Edmonton Mall or something. So you, it would be a responsibility every time you get a phone call from them saying, hey, our box is overloaded. You run your van down there, fill it up, drive it back to our depot, unload it. You may have to do two or three on a Saturday sometimes. Um, then we have uh, volunteers who come and they wrap them in the depot, volunteers who sort them and bag them into parcels. And then uh, each garbage bag that we fill represents one family. And on delivery day, which is uh, December 18th this year, we just go on the air and say, okay, we need volunteers. People drive up. Usually, we don't even have to do that. I mean, we start usually about 9.30, 10 in the morning. Sometimes it's 7 or 8 in the morning. They're standing there with their Tim Hortons in the freezing weather waiting for their chance to be the first ones to you know, come in and grab a parcel and go off and help somebody. But, you know, I'll say, it's not a contest. You can come at 11 o'clock and avoid the lineups. But uh, people are just so excited to help. That's fantastic. Now, you guys recently moved into a new warehouse facility. Isn't that right? Uh, Yeah, we uh, kind of, for many years, we just relied on the generosity of Edmontonians to loan us a warehouse for free. And then that got to the point where we just couldn't pull that off anymore because times were getting tight. Uh, Crosstown gave us... Uh, a warehouse for a couple of years, and uh, now we're leasing one from uh, one of our one of my coworkers' grandfathers gave us a really good deal on a lease, uh, so we could sort of reserve the space for three years. 
And but behind the scenes, we're trying to raise money to build a place for us. Oh, really? Yeah. Your own warehouse. It's a uh, it's a joint project. Um, we don't we uh, we understand that you can't build a warehouse and have it sit empty for nine months of the year. But we uh, we went to the bureau and said, look, we'd like to build a home for ourselves. We think you should be there with us because we have a lot of synergies and we share information. And we thought, why don't we build a place that we will own, we will fundraise, and not from the average guy in the street. We don't want the same people who buy presents, you know, to uh, feel like, oh, now I've got to dig into my pocket and try and fund this warehouse. We want to go to the people in Edmonton who could write a check for $500,000 the same way you and I could write a check for $20. Yeah. And find people who will support this project. And uh, we've already got a piece of land from the city of Edmonton plus some money. Uh, verbal commitment from the province. Uh, the feds say, well, if the first two levels of government are in, we'll be in. And they would account for about three quarters of the money. We'd raise the rest of it through donations. And we want to put together a place uh, that is going to be a year-round bustling center of goodwill and, and make it like a condo for 10 or 15 different charitable groups. So that when you drive by there, you think, there's group A helping this bunch of people and, and so-and-so helping this bunch of people. And it's a vibrant year-round facility. And, and our big warehouse that we use for three months of the year will be available for someone else who's doing maybe coats for kids or if somebody wants to repair the... Uh, display in uh, Horlock Park or somebody like any charitable activity they can that needs a space we'll have both office space for them or or uh, warehouse space and it'd be quite a legacy project now if some of our listeners because uh, obviously we do have some some big name listeners sure. with the unknown studio are interested in in helping with uh, the building of the Jerry Forbes Center right uh, what can they do the easiest way would be uh, Right now, they could go to 630ched.com, which has a link to santasanonymous.com, which has a link to the Jerry Forbes Center. I mean, basically, if you go on any one of those three sites, um, or even the Christmas Bureau, they all sort of support each other, and you'll, you eventually will find your way to the Jerry Forbes Center, and it'll tell you how you can help out and support. Or, by all means, call the station and ask for me. I'll be happy to direct you to the right people, and we want to make it as easy as possible. And if anyone is interested, I think... When you someday drive by that center and you come in and stop in there and see what it does for the city, it's just going to be a, a, a fabulous place. Well, it sounds like a really great concept, one that doesn't just serve, you know, the Christmas charities that are in the city, but everybody. And it's cool that you guys are trying to be as inclusive as possible. So uh, good luck to you on raising all that money. We thought it was kind of a, an original idea, but it turns out there are groups like that and buildings like that across North America. So we're working with those people using their models and uh we hope to be the, the best one, though, once it opens up. Cool. Right on. Um, before, we, uh, before we proceed to the next part of this interview, I was wondering, um, are you, are you, do you have a goal in mind for toys? Or do you have a specific need right now for Santa's Anonymous that our listeners can help out with? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, right now we're in the, uh, the final stages of this year's campaign. I know it seems weird to say because it's the middle of December, but... We uh, have to have 25,000 parcels ready to go uh, by the 18th of December. And we're probably, if we get 1,000 toys a day in, we'll probably just slip under the wire. So we need, you know, a, a lot of traffic, a lot of toy traffic. Uh, and if people are out and about and they pick up a toy for their kid, if they could pick up an extra one for one of our kids, uh, likely as you pay for it, there'll be a box there so you can just drop it off and try and make it easy for you. 
and then we'll take care of the rest. Now, I know uh, that uh, there's an organization a little earlier in December, and they, they've already done it this year, and I, I can't recall whom specifically does it off the top of my head, set up at a Toys R Us uh, for one day, for like one Saturday in the morning, and uh, give out gift certificates for Toys R Us, specifically so that uh, people can go with their kid and let their kid pick out a toy they would like for Christmas. And then they're not even necessarily spending their own money. They're using the gift certificate to buy that toy and then immediately donating it to 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous. And I think that's a great concept. So Mm -hmm. what I'm suggesting is if you have a kid, take them to Toys R Us this week. But it it should be your your own kid or or a family member. You don't just, don't just (laughs) grab one off the street and and do this, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, basically take them to Toys R Us and have them pick out a toy that they would like to receive for Christmas to donate to 630 Ched Santa's Anonymous. Because what a great way to bring your kids into it as well and to let them feel like they've done a good thing for someone they don't even necessarily will have an opportunity to ever meet. Actually, my boss, uh, Craig, who's also a listener of the show, does that very thing with his two children. They'll go out and they'll, they'll let the kids pick something out He'll pay for it, and then the kids will put it in the Dropbox. Do you have to remind Craig that he should take his own kids like he did with Scott? Sometimes. Okay. Uh, he's, uh, he's uh, He can be sketchy. Here's the, the sneaky thing about that, too, is you'll also get an idea of what your kid might want for Christmas. <laughs> yes. So you'll get an idea of what to buy them uh, He's, he's as well. not just a pretty face. No, he's not. He's a pretty voice. Yeah. Well, and he, he has a very smart. nice voice. Yeah. Yeah. Not as nice as mine, but... <laughs> it's true. Let's be fair. Yeah. Now, uh, I think on that note... Now is a good time to uh, move into your favorite part of the interview, the Fast 15. Oh, this sounds fun. Now, Daryl, I know you are a dedicated listener. Haven't missed a show. Seriously? No. (laughs) That would have been so good. Why did you ask seriously? Why do you have to ruin things? Why did you have to be honest? Why couldn't you lie? (laughs) I do live for a living. I am in advertising. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, so the Fast 15 okay. is the part of the show where we ask our guests 15 questions in rapid succession. That would explain the name. We've uh, Yes. And I thought of that myself. You have the Unknown Studio. I have the Fast 15. And and so the first 13 questions are, are, are questions that we ask of all of our guests just to see some of the differences between all of them. And then we have two wild card questions at oh, the end. Oh, man. This is... I'm really excited so now. So these are tailor-made questions, the last two for you. Okay. So here we go. The Fast 15 with Daryl Hook, 6.30 Chet Superstar. Can I just clear my throat quickly before yeah. we start? Oh, please, okay. yeah. <clears throat> we both turned off the mic and that turned it back on. That was a while. Okay. It's okay. Anyways. I'm so ready. here we go. Number one, your favorite food. Chili. Your favorite color. Red. Mac, PC, or Linux. PC. Dogs or cats. <sighs> Neither but dogs. Coffee or tea. Coffee. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Favorite sport? Hockey. Favorite pastime? Reading. Favorite music right now? Oh, right now. Oh, my goodness. Oh, so Kate Bush wouldn't qualify. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as, yeah, Christmas music. Okay. Your favorite movie? Blade Runner. Nice. Awesome. Good choice. <laughs> awesome. Your favorite video game? Um, angry parrots, angry birds. Angry birds. Okay. <laughs> if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Invisibility. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. Yes. 
<laughs> now we're on to our one. And I knew that of him. Yeah, that was so unobvious. Yeah. That's actually why we had him on. Basically. One of the reasons. Well, um, one of my offspring has gone the other way, but anyway. That's, that's a tragedy. I know. You have failed as a parent. <laughs> 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 that's harsh. That is harsh. I, he knows I don't mean it. I really don't. The uh, first wild card question, your favorite Christmas memory. These are, these are always hard. My favorite Christmas memory. Well, um, I did ask my wife to marry me on Christmas Eve. And uh, I think my other favorite Christmas memory would be uh, one Christmas Eve, I was up putting some toys together for my kids. And by fluke, It's a Wonderful Life came on at midnight. And I thought, I'll just watch a few minutes of this. I was up till three in the morning watching that, and I cried like a baby at the end. <laughs> and a great uh, movie. It w- I have watched that movie every year since. Oh wait! Oh, do you have it? Like, how much time do we have? No, keep have, going, man. These I've are great. This, as much time as you need. Here's my other. This is my Christmas miracle. This is the coolest thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> and you're gonna say, "What a pathetic life!" If this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to him. Um, my wife and I went to uh, Winnipeg one year, and uh, our Christmas tradition, of course, is to watch Alistair Sim a Christmas Carol, and It's a Wonderful Life sometime around Christmas. So we get, and she's from Winnipeg, that's why we went. So we get to Winnipeg, and first thing we do is check the TV guide, because uh, internet was not ubiquitous as it is now, and it wasn't on anywhere. And I thought, what the heck? So I thought, well, we'll just go down and, and buy the, probably VHS at that time, uh, we'll just go down and buy the videos and watch them, you know, at home. And uh, we get to this store, went to Zeller's, and I'm looking through every single VHS, and I can't find anything. And I said to the guy, do you have these two movies? And he goes, well, first off, the Christmas display is out in the hall. Uh, you're looking in the wrong spot. And he said, but everybody's looking for those movies, and trust me, we don't have them because everyone's picked through. So I said, okay, i got to look anyway. So I went, and there's this long display, about eight feet long, videos on both sides. I went through every single one on side one, walked around every single one. I get to the very bottom shelf, the very last rack, and I look in, and there's Christmas Carol. And I reach reach to grab it, and I can't pull it out because there's two stuck together. The other one is It's a Wonderful Life. I kid you not. And I pulled them both out, and I walked up to the guy, and he goes, where the hell did you get those? I said, right over there, down the bottom. He goes, I've gone through that shelf 20 times. They weren't there. I said, well, they're here now, and they're two for eleven ninety nine. <laughs> and it was my Christmas miracle. And it was fantastic. That's wicked. That is wicked. Now, your last wild card question. For $200, Alex, I'll take a uh, wild card, please. Can you tell us about any Christmas disasters or Christmas horror stories that you've experienced? Kind of a counterpoint to your Christmas oh, miracle. What was the what was the one thing that went wrong? We're going to end it on a bad note. <laughs> <laughs> Adam likes it downer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, you know, I have to I have to say, I really have to think hard to find anything bad because we've I've been pretty blessed with Christmas. But uh, one year we all got together at my mom's house for Christmas, and uh, my sister her husband had given her a cat for christmas and she brought it to the christmas festivities <laughs> somebody as a gag gift had given me handcuffs so you can probably see what's coming i just i thought as a little joke i thought well put the handcuffs around the cat's neck <laughs> as a little as a little joke well the cat didn't think it was funny and it leapt up in the air jumping off my leg with leaving little marks in my leg and of course i didn't want to hurt itself so i kind of grabbed for the handcuffs, 
which tightened around the cat's neck, and the cat went ballistic. And it's scratching and clawing in every direction, because now it can't breathe. And I'm trying to, un and of course, you cannot undo the handcuffs when there's a wild cat going crazy on it. The cat did not quite pass out, but it took my sister and I to hold it and, like, put us little kitty paws together and everybody was getting scratched all the hell before I could finally oh, get the handcuffs off and, and for some reason my sister did not find any humor <laughs> in that scenario. I still can laugh about it to this day I was laughing at it actually a few minutes later but uh, I was the only one <laughs> but uh, really there was no disaster there's just momentary chaos near asphyxiation for a cat. and my wife one time did drop the turkey on the floor the oh. entire turkey but I think that might have been another holiday I'm not sure but <laughs> Had it been Christmas, that would have been probably in there, too. Yeah. Well, count on Daryl to be the mischievous one. Daryl, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a hey, pleasure to have you on. You guys rock. Finally. Finally. And it was altogether too late, considering you're the one who christened uh, the Unknown Studio. It's true. I have to say I was delighted you uh, asked me to help out. So I'm, I'm glad it's worked out for you. Well, it has. Sort of. Kind of. A little. Minute. Someday I'll have friends in high places. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Daryl. Merry Christmas, you guys. Merry Christmas to you, too. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 39. Our guest, Daryl Hook, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. Have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He then propelled himself in a short vector onto his conveyance, directed a musical expulsion of air through his contracted oral sphincter. Of course, I hit sphincter and I laughed.